I said this last time, um, me doing all that was just a delay tactic because I really don't want to come up here. I'm, 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 I've done this before, um, but you know, every time it's new and fresh and it's still nerve wracking. So my heart right now is going, doof, doof. I, I, if I put the microphone close, I bet you can hear it. So my name is Alex Tavares. Um, I'm not a scholar. I'm not no um, a highly educated man. I am a man that loves Jesus and loves my family and I'm, I'm excited to share God's word with you. As you can tell, I have kids because I have the indestructible iPad cover. Um, this is my sermon notes. You know, if par parents know this, if you have kids, this is like the greatest thing ever. I, I get paid for every sale. I'm just joking. All right. So with that said, um, um, let's go ahead and get started. Um, so like I said, my name is Alex, um, and I am excited to share with you guys today. Um, one of the things that I, I, I think you guys should know about me is that I love sports. I mean, I deeply love sports. I don't get to do it as often as Guam. For those of you who've lived here, know that you know being ahead of sports on the state side. Like I, I don't know, I can't follow. I don't follow rugby or Australian sports, so like it's just weird. So I'm a big football fan. I love basketball. I love baseball. I'm a New Yorker by trade, so I love all the New York sports teams. And if you try to talk trash about New York sports teams, I would just say who's won the most World Series, and then you could just be quiet. You know, so. Um, Okay, with that said, um, like I said, I love sports, but the main reason I love sports, and I, and I think this is, uh, this is huge, is that sports takes commitment. It takes sacrifice. It takes dedication. Especially, I think some of those Harvest boys, it, it's funny because none of us, I don't think any of the soccer players that won the championship that Coach Kevin coaches are here, but you know, they won the championship this last year, last school year, and uh, I can tell you, man, those guys, I went one time to go check them out at the bridge. They were working out at uh, this fitness place over here in Barragata. And it, it was hilarious, you know, watching these guys going, why do we have to do this? You know, like complaining and screaming. And uh, it was really cool to see their commitment to working hard and trying to get better, so much so that they ended up winning. And so that was really cool to experience, for them to experience that and be a part of that. But I think, I think the biggest reason, um, and you can go to the next slide, I think one of the biggest reasons I think sports is just, it's a fascinating idea, right? That, you know, you, you work hard and you commit yourself to something to potentially win a championship. With the exception of tennis and golf, who plays tennis or golf, right? I mean, like, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. That's a dig of a friend who just won a tennis trophy for winning. And I told him that tennis, no one plays tennis. But anyway, um, but yeah, so anyway, with that said, that's a joke. I caddied for a long time and my family plays tennis, so... With that said, I do like tennis and golf. All right, with that said, I, I, I want you guys to realize that I, I also really like basketball. And right before you, right now, you're seeing a slide of, um, I'm really loud. Micah, can you turn me down just a little bit? Um, there's a slide of three of the greatest of all time, also known as the GOAT, right? The greatest of all time. Um, you know, these kids with these uh, abbreviations and, you know, names and nicknames. Uh, I don't get it, but um, right here is three guys, and some would argue, like, you know, that they would say that, you know, um, the guy with the number six, Miami Heat, and there's a reason I put him in that jersey, um, for those of you that, because the truth be told, he didn't win a championship until he joined the Heat. Um, he didn't, he got close, but he never won a championship until he joined the Heat, and that's LeBron James over there. Um, the guy in the middle, um, I have no opinion, might, might be the greatest, is the greatest of all time, um, but uh uh, Michael Jordan, all right? Um, most championships ever in the NBA. And, uh, you know, I mean, scoring championship. I could go on and on with his accolades. But the, but the guy on the right, some would argue that 
his ability to score, his scoring percentage, and his, all this stuff, defensive player, if he would have played a little bit longer, which he could have really, he just decided to retire. And, you know, but, but Kobe Bryant potentially could have been, you know, some consider the greatest of all time, and his death was an extreme tragedy. But regardless of where you stand, and you should stand for Michael Jordan, um, because truthfully, he is the greatest. Um, but regardless of where you stand, none of these guys would ever say that they won the championship on their ability alone. The truth is that they, LeBron, it wasn't until he had Wade and Bosch by his side to be able to claim championship. Kobe, it wasn't until he had Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> I mean, that guy was a force to be reckoned with, right? 315 pounds, 7'2", that's 7'3", some say, and, and a size 22 shoe, right? Something stupid like that. I mean, how can you not hear the, you know, of a shoe, but... But yeah, the guy's huge. And then Michael Jordan, you know, without Steve Kerr hitting that shot, you know, to win the championship in the 1996 finals, I believe, um, you know, what, what's the point, right? I mean, the truth, all these guys are great athletes in themselves, but none of them, none of them can, become, can claim the title of champion without the effort of their team. And the same can be said for the church. For a church, the next slide says, I found this quote somewhere, for the church to accomplish its mission it takes more than just a couple. It just it takes more than a couple of committed people. It takes the church. It doesn't take, and when I say the church, I don't mean this building. I actually mean you. Because the disciples, they didn't have a building. <laughs> you know, they tried to meet in the synagogues, and at some point, synagogues got most likely mad at them because <laughs> Jesus is proclaiming to be the Messiah, and they're like, he, we killed him. No, he's not the Messiah. So imagine they're most likely meeting in houses, or in public areas at the time. So the church, when it first started, wasn't a church. It wasn't a building. It was people. And I can tell you, there could be a thousand Kevins. There are a thousand Kevins. Here on Guam, there are many pastors. And there are many Jess who run the student ministries. But them alone cannot be the one that accomplishes God's mission. So today we're going to we're going to go through the passage in Luke. And before we get started, I'm going to pray in a little bit. But I thought it'd be fair to give you guys some background. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that it's good to understand what we're reading or how we're diving into it. I, 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 I like looking into things. My wife is a, a great, like when I say, who is that? She'll find out who you are in five seconds. So don't, um, you know, be careful because she's a good Facebook creeper. And it sounds horrible, but it's a good talent because it's like, Oh, who was it that I was talking to? And she could find out real quick. I love her talent that way. But, but in all reality, the truth is we want information. We want to know what we're reading, what we're trying to understand. And so today we're going to look at, before we get into Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at some background information on the Gospel of Luke. So what's funny, as Josh was picking the songs, Josh had no clue what I was. I told him a little, I gave him a one-sentence phrase of what I was going to teach on. And Josh picked the best songs, each song has a glimpse of what we're talking about today. But before I keep on going on tangents, I want to share with you very quickly um, a little bit of background. So Luke um, is one of the few passages. It's actually, it's a, it's, it's actually it's a synoptic gospel. Synoptic means similar. So there's three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are basically considered similar. And why they say they're similar is because they have a lot of stories that overlap they're not all the same. Like this passage, which I'm going to share again later, 72, the sending to 72, it's only in Luke. It's not in the other ones. But there's other passages. There's other opportunities. Can you turn me down a little more, son? I hear a lot of feedback up here. With that said, I can project, so I'm not worried about the microphone as much. Um, but 
But so Luke is one of the few. And what's something different about Luke is also that it's the only synoptic gospel that uses Savior, salvation, and saves repeatedly, like all the time. It uses it more than any other gospel. And so, so you can get right away by knowing that you're going, man, Luke really wants us to know that Jesus saves. So that's one thing I want you to know about the gospel of Luke as we get into it. He wants you to know that Jesus saves. But he, it's cool because, you know, like the other gospels, Matthew, he focuses very much on Jews. Mark focuses very much on Jesus. Mark most focuses on Jesus himself. Luke focuses on Gentiles. And unless you're Steve Oborsky, or maybe you are a Jew and you haven't shared that, but if you are a Jew by lineage, please know that all of us are Gentiles. So the Gospel of Luke, if I want to kind of jump, jump to good conclusions, it's for you. It is written and intended for the underdog, the non-Jew, because don't forget the Jews were God's chosen people, yet they rejected Jesus. But Luke is like, this book is for you. Luke wants us. He desires that people learn that Jesus loves you, that he saves. But then he also focuses very uniquely, how can we serve him? He teaches us and shows us that we can serve the man that loves you. Because isn't that a reflection of love? Like when we submit our lives to Jesus and we say we love Jesus, our response should be, oh God, how can I serve? Right? When we love our spouse, right? What do we want to do? We want to cook her a meal, right? Cuddle in bed, you know? Like you, you want to show them love in some way. I don't want to make my kids uncomfortable, so I'm trying my best to be nice. But the truth is, Luke, his primary focus in this, in this book is to let you know that Jesus loves you, and he wants, he wants more of you. But before we go into the text, I want to read a a, a similar passage. It's Matthew um, chapter 9. But I want you guys to know that something that's big about me is that, and I always tease Kevin about it, is that I, I am, and I'm not, Kevin is an amazing teacher. I pale in comparison to him. But I, I always tease him because he'll read scripture. And I'm like, where's he reading from? You know, I always want to know where he's reading from. But I'm, all my passages are up top. Like they're here. So like you're going to get to read with me. And so, and if you can't see, it's in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And it reads as follows. It says, As Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out the laborers into the harvest. There's a reason I'm sharing this passage is because I want you to get a glimpse of Jesus' heart. Because Luke doesn't do it. Luke doesn't go into how Jesus feels in his passage. So as we read Luke 10, I want you to imagine this man, the man that gave his life for us. He's going to, he, he has compassion. His heart is breaking because he's looking amongst the people going, man, you need someone to save you. And I'm here. I, I love you. And so as we read, first we're going to pray, then we're going to read. But as we read, I want you guys to have those eyes of Jesus' compassion towards you and I. But let's pray. God, may the meditations of my mind and the words of my mouth be pleasing and acceptable 
may we be reminded of your love for us. Amen. So let's go into Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. I, I teach a little differently than Kevin, um, and just depends on the audience. But I thought it would be best in this audience, because I think there's such a variety of students, a variety of people that know, maybe don't know Jesus. I, I decided to go verse by verse. And originally, and I stayed up late kind of pondering what to do, but originally I was going to do all 12 verses, and we were going to be here for an hour and a half. But I decided to do, I'm only, we're going to read 1 through 12, to get a glimpse of the message, but we're going to focus on the first, five, the first five verses of Luke chapter 10. But let's go ahead and read. Read with me if you can. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lamb in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one in the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be, with, to, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking, whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves his wage. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your, of your town that clings to your feet will wipe off, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So, the message of this sermon is called Let's Go. Man, at the very beginning of this passage, if you go to the next slide, the very beginning, he sends out 72. 72. So that shows you that Jesus had a big following. Imagine, right? I mean, like most teachers nowadays, you know, they have, they have about an average of 100 students, maybe, if you teach if you teach elementary, then your class is about 35. But imagine sending out your class and saying, hey, go. And they doing what you asked them to do. 72. And like I said earlier, Luke is the only gospel that talks about the 72. All the other gospels talk about sending the 12. And so I find that really interesting. Why 72? What's the significance of 72? All the other ones talk about 12. And, you, and, and we know from the 12, based on the report of the other ones, of the other gospels, that the 12 came back from different regions that weren't too far, right? They went to different villages, north, west, southwest, you know, by the river, these areas, and were preparing, as we'll see in the next verse, preparing for Jesus to come. Jesus was coming. But Jesus, I mean, if there's 72 people, it's funny, it's like, is Jesus going to go to all 72 places? Maybe, I don't know. But what's funny is that as you look deeper into it, and I found this fascinating as I was looking into it, the 72, most scholars believe it's more significant than just 72 disciples. At that time, it was believed that there were 72 nations, depending whether you read Hebrew text or Roman text, there was a belief that there were 72 nations represented. Right then and there, if you think about it, Jesus is not going to go to 72 nations. I mean, 
There's no account of Jesus visiting Rome at the time. And I believe Rome kept a good enough record that if he went to Rome, we would have most likely read about it. Maybe they burned the text and they were like, no, we can't have that. But as of right now, we can safely assume that Jesus never went to Rome. That alone is, you know, one region that most likely got sent as we saw Paul going into there, as you read his text and all this stuff. And so you have this dynamic that Jesus primarily stayed in the Israel region, but the 72, I find it funny because I believe that Jesus, and it's not I believe, actually, I have full confidence that Jesus had a global mission in mind. That Jesus, right then and there, right then and there, was designed that all people would serve him. He was giving us a glimpse of what his goal was. His goal was that all nations would come to know him. And at the time, he's sending them to Israel amongst their people. Don't forget, most of the followers were Jewish, right? So he's sending them to people like them. I have a friend. I have a friend who came to visit me when I was in college, and we went to the city. And, you know, the city's great, right? You come out. I love my wife and I. We love. We come out to Times Square. You come out of the subway. You take the one or the A, and you come out. You go, wow. You're just overwhelmed by the size of the buildings. For those of you who haven't been to New York, I highly recommend it. It is beautiful. Maybe not safe right now, but it's beautiful. And so, but, but I still remember. I was like, hey, let's go to the Bronx. I have family in the Bronx, and I still laugh to this day. We get on the subway. We're taking the A train all the way up. I don't even think the A train exists anymore. I think it's just the one train. But we're taking the A train all the way up to New York City, up to, up to 187th Street. And so we're going to go visit my aunt who lives in, you know, Brooklyn, the Bronx. And he goes, we're going to the Bronx? I mean, Jesus didn't send his disciples to non-Jewish areas, because I promise you, you would have most likely heard or read some disgruntledness from it. Jesus sent them most likely to regions where he, he's able to go and, and proclaim that he is the Messiah, and the Jews are going to be like, oh, kill him, he's claiming to be the Messiah. You know, like, it's going to cause a stir. But, I mean, it's that, that mindset that, that he, say, he wants all people. So when Luke says the gospel is for the underdog, he really means that. Luke doesn't say it. Barclay said that. But the truth is, he, he, it is. The gospel is for the underdog. It's for people like you and me. Oh, look at that. I just lost my spot. All right. With that said, I can continue. So, so the next verse, let's just go to the next verse. It says, where he himself was about to go. This one was, a, I find this passage fascinating. It's actually my favorite part. Because as he's sending out the disciples, he's saying, hey, you guys are going to go. I'm sending you out. And we're going to watch a clip from The Chosen. It might depict the best. I mean, I love the scene because you have the disciples being called out saying, hey, I'm going to send you. They're being called apostles. And there's a great scene where, like, you'll see it. Matthew goes, can you repeat that, please? You know, this dynamic of, really, you're sending us? But Jesus says, where you're going, I'm going. I'm going to go. I was sharing with Scott Thompson earlier. Scott Thompson for a long time was the only person in his business. He was like the only, he, he was part of a regional office, but he was the only person part of that regional office. And I, and I use him as an example because it's great. It's like you work maybe remotely and your boss is coming, right? Like your boss is coming to check in on you. And you're like, oh my gosh, I have to get things ready. You know, you start cleaning up your office, organizing things because you know that your boss is coming. I can imagine the disciples, maybe some of them were thinking, oh man, Jesus is coming. So, okay, he, he can cover my mistakes. Whatever I mess up, Jesus can fix it. 
right? His mercies are new every morning. But if you're like me, man, you don't feel deserving. You start asking yourself, am I good enough? Why would Jesus send me? Why would he? Oh, he's coming because he's going to, because I'm not good enough to do what he wants me to do. And you start doubting yourself. And you start realizing that this fear, this fear starts creeping up of like, you know, this, your, your value is diminished. It's funny because I texted a friend earlier this week. It was like, I think it was Thursday. I texted him. I was like, I am paralyzed. It was Friday. I texted him. I was like, I am paralyzed. As I was preparing this message, I was frozen. I felt overwhelmed. So much was happening. We had so much to do as a family. And I just froze. I couldn't do anymore. Couldn't think anymore. And then I started saying, I'm not, I'm not good enough to give this message. My value was diminished. I mean, and it's a cycle for me. It's a really catch-22 cycle. Like I start questioning my value. And then I start feeling alone like, oh, no one else understands me. I'm struggling. Life stinks. And then you go from life stinks to be like, all right, well, since no one understands me, I'm just going to hide and be by myself and retreat. And so, like, I start fe- the fear drives me to loneliness, and then I put myself in lonely situations, and then I, I justify, oh, you see, I am alone, and then it continues. It's a vicious cycle of loneliness. But, it, but I've learned something. Like, I don't like public speaking. I'm terrified of it. I'm sitting up here, I bet you everyone's going, wow, he's really energetic, very dynamic. But the truth is, my heart is pounding, like I said earlier. I, first service, I had to stand next to a fan because I was just drenched in sweat, and it was cold in here, so give you perspective. But I'll tell you guys, there was, it's no joke. That fear is crippling. But I learned something really early on as I got, I've spoken in front of people and done different things, but I learned something early on. And something that, that's been really encouraging, at least in my life, I've learned that fear is a liar. You know, that great song, I don't like country much, but that's a great country song. For the, you know, it's called Fear is a Liar. It's a good song, so for those of you. And we sang about fear, right? You know, I mean, the second song we sang about was talking about fear and having no hold on me. But going back to my fear of public speaking, I teach public speaking. So a guy that's fearful of public speaking teaches public speaking. And so I'm teaching this class, and I learned really quickly. Like, I, I, I kind of laugh at it because I, I learned very early on is that the truth is none of you want to see me fail. No one wants to come to church and, and then hear some good music, and then for an hour and a half, I'm just kidding, only 20 minutes, hear a bad sermon. I mean, that, that's like a nightmare scenario, right, where you're sitting there going, oh, my gosh, when is God going to be quiet? And, and I know that, I mean, even by the smiles alone on some of your faces, not everyone's smiling, and that's kind of scary, but, um, but the smiles on your faces show me that you want me to succeed. You want me to, to, to communicate well, to, to deliver a message that you can take out from here and say, I'm going to make a difference in this world, Lord willing. And it wasn't until I realized that, that you guys are for me, not against me, that I, I must set up a little more courage to be up here. Because the truth is, if I, if I didn't believe that, I'll be frozen. Fear will have me by the throat saying, I got you, Alex. You're no good. You have no value. But you know what's beautiful about Jesus? He says, I'm coming. And you know what's even better? Later on in some of the passages, he goes, I am always with you. 
That's even more comforting, isn't it? That in the midst of this, as I'm talking to you right now, Jesus is in this place. And I know for some of us, it's like, is he really? But I promise you, I'm not able to do this if it wasn't for Jesus being present here and now. The absence of Jesus in this means this is worthless. And so I stand here, you realizing that when he says we himself, where he himself is about to go, is not meant to bring fear into people, but is meant to bring comfort. Is that, yes, he will fix our mistakes, but man, he'll also help fight our battles. So let's go to the next verse. If you continue reading, I'm going to jump right away to the second part of verse 2. And it says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Does anyone know what happens to a harvest when it's ready and it's not picked or not not harvested? It happens here in Guam all the time. Mango trees are ready for season, end of July, beginning of August. And it's beautiful, isn't it? When you see a mango tree full of mango ready to fall, I wish every mango that fell would just land in my lap. I love mangoes. I really do. But mango trees are ready, and they fall. And if you drive by the Lutheran church, you see it all the time. They have the biggest mango. I don't know how it is now because I, I haven't been by the storm. But, but they, they used to have the biggest mango trees. I mean, huge ones. And every time we did a car wash, I used to laugh because it's like you would pick up the mangoes <laughs> just off the, off the ground. But the truth is if you, if you wait too long, the mangoes, right? The bugs get to them. They, they become soft and they, they, they just get gross. You don't want to eat them anymore. But that's the same truth for us. It's like, like if the harvest is plentiful and it's ready for picking, what's going to happen to the harvest is if there's not enough workers? What's going to happen to those who, who really want to know Jesus but there's no one to disciple them? One of the other aspects that I love about Luke, it talks about the soil. In Luke chapter 8, he talks about the soil. And if you guys know anything about harvesting and you know about sowing and farming, I, got, I, I had the wonderful privilege of being in Pennsylvania farm country around Lancaster. It's gorgeous over there. I promise. If you haven't been to Lancaster, Pennsylvania and that area, it is just beautiful. And I actually, I also got to go to California this summer and I got to see farmland there too. And I was fascinated by it. I, I was really humbled by it because you see these fields and it's like you see these rows, right? But if you walk the rows a little bit, you'll see that there's seed all around those rows. It's not like a, they take one seed. Boop, you know, it's not, it's a scattering of seed. And it's funny because the seed being scattered, if you go to the passage in Luke 8, it talks about the soil. It talks about, you know, the seed that falls on hard soil, right? The rocks. It, the sun burns it and it dries up. The seed that falls on thorns and um, it falls amongst thorns gets choked up when it grows. But the seed that falls on good soil flourishes and produces a thousand times more. And I'm here to tell you that Bayview, and let me correct that, churches on Guam are planting seeds and they're providing good soil. But the truth is, there's not enough laborers. There's not enough of, there's not enough of us to harvest the potential harvest that's coming. The mangoes are ready, and they're going to fall. Who's going to catch them? Please don't waste the mangoes. Please don't. 
as we go to the next part of the passage, the next verse, it's actually, in my opinion, one of the most convicting ones of all of them. It, it, it's so hard because he, he tells you the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, therefore, and you know Pastor Kevin said it many times, therefore means that everything he said before, this is what you need to do now. Like, therefore, pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers. I don't think it's an accident that the passages following Luke chapter 10 are some of the most, the, the great stories, we all heard of them. But the passage, the immediate passage that follows Luke chapter 10, um, the, the story, the whole section, the passage towards the end, is the Good Samaritan. And we all know the story of the Good Samaritan, right? It's a man who had no reason to, no purpose behind helping a man in need. I don't think it's an accident that Luke wrote that story on the, on the back end of telling them we need laborers. And he gave us the best example of a laborer, someone who randomly was walking down the street and helped a guy in need. And he didn't just help a guy in need, right? He, he gave him a place to stay. He provided food and he checked up on him. This man had no justifiable reason to do that. Actually, he was from the Bronx and my friend was from Western Pennsylvania. That's the kind of mindset. So when he looked at him, he was like, oh, you're not one of my people. <laughs> and so to give you perspective, like Luke is telling us, he's giving us an example of what a laborer could look like. But then he goes on and talks about Mary and Martha. The next one is Mary and Martha, right, at the, right on the back end of that. And that's a great example because Jesus is present with them. And Mary and Martha are hosting him. And those of you who have the gift of hospitality, you know that it's like, oh, my house has to look nice. I want to provide the best food. You go all out. You break your back so that those who come to your house feel comfortable. And Martha is at it. She's like, oh, I got this. I got this. I'm going to make this. I'm going to do this. She's busy. She's one of the few workers. But she's working so much that she's forgetting what's important. How many Sunday school workers here at Bayview don't get to worship with us on Sundays? I know they, for a long time, there was only one service. There was only one service. The two-service thing is new. So if you work Sunday school, you didn't get to go to church. I was one of them way back when. They did four-week rotations. Remember that, you Sunday school workers? Right? So for four weeks, you missed church. Whew. The workers are few. And I think it's no accident that Luke transitions right away, right away to the Lord's Prayer. Our church is not a liturgical church. Like we don't do, you know, the Apostles' Creed or the Lord's Prayer. And I kind of miss that sometimes. I grew up in a church. I, was, I grew up in a church where we said prayers together. So I thought it'd be kind of cool if we read the Lord's Prayer together. So the next slide has the Lord's Prayer. And I don't do the art. I do, you know, the plain English. So first service, I said art, our Father who art in heaven. I caught myself. But so if you would join me in reading this, this is the Lord's Prayer. And this is something when I was young, I was taught. And I, and I feel bad because I don't feel, have we, have we taught our kids this? It's like, you know, you think about it, you're like, did I teach my kids the Lord's Prayer? Or did, anyway, but, but let's continue. Let's join with me in reading it. Our Father who are, you see there, I do it again. All right. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Man, this is the way we ought to pray. So when Jesus was hanging out with the disciples, he taught them this. And Luke, on the precipice of saying, therefore pray earnestly. (laughs) And then Luke says, and this is a prayer that you can say, I don't think it's by accident. I don't think it's by accident that it says, give us our daily bread. And when he says bread, it's not like food. He means literally substance, like what I need to live on. And when he says, forgive our debts, the year of Jubilee is daily, isn't it? And by the way, the year of Jubilee would be a year where you forgive all your debts and you, 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 don't, you give it back. If someone owes you land, you give it back. Someone owes you money, you say, don't worry about it. Like it's that liberating. Imagine for those of us who might have debt, if you get a phone call, be like, hey, it's forgiven. Right? How joyful most of us would be. Oh, by the way, your house is paid off. Woo! Some of us be dancing up and down the aisles or become charismatic up in here. With that said, though, with that said, I want you guys to know that, that I think the earnest prayer, it might be a little more personal reflection. The Lord teaches us how to pray. But when he's saying pray earnestly that the Lord of harvest will send laborers, it's, it's, more of a, it's more of a question like, if you pray earnest, he's really asking, maybe it's you. I struggled with this for a while. This is what paralyzed me when I was reading through it, I told Ian, I was like, I met with Ian the other day too, and I, I shared a prayer that I, I felt like the Lord kind of kind of revealed to me as I was really wrestling with this idea of earnest and praying and the Lord's prayer. And then I came up with something, and, and I'm going to share it with you guys. I promise you it's not dogma. It's not a creed that you need to recite every day, but it's a reflection of my heart and where I'm at. Thank you, God, for being the Lord of the harvest open my eyes and my heart to the needs around me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. May your will be done on earth and in my life. I think for so many times in our lives, we, be so, we become so self-consumed. And we're going to realize really quickly in the next part that Jesus doesn't, doesn't ask them to go and you know, just make sure you're okay, have enough food, bring your stuff with you. No, Jesus tells them to leave everything. Don't bring, don't even bring an extra pair of sandals. Don't bring clothes. Don't bring food. And when he says knapsack, he means money. <laughs> he tells them not to bring any money even. He's telling them to become fully reliant, fully reliant on him. That's hard, isn't it? For us to fully depend on God, to use us, and to say, God, I trust you to help me with these four and five-year-olds. And that's not bagging on the four and five-year-olds. Last service, I said it a lot, and people kind of were like, do you have something against them? And I don't. They're just hard. But, but like, it's this perspective that, like, like people always say, oh, I, I, I don't know how to do this. I'm not good at that. It's not about you. It never was. And I think we, we, we get so consumed with this idea about us when the truth is, if we say yes, the Lord is going to use us. All we have to do is say yes. 
The next verse is a really hard one too because it says the lambs, you will be like lambs in the midst of wolves. Oh, I thought about this because it's like, you know, we as, you know, 21st century Westerners don't understand <laughs> what it means to be in danger. Um, I commend my military people, my military brothers and sisters who have served and done tours. Um, you get to see a side of the world that many of us won't ever see. And it's because of your service and your duty that we get to live the life that we get to live. But I'll tell you, we don't help ourselves at all. I really do believe that we do have dangers that we face. And as a church, if we don't address them, we're going we're gonna to be just like, we're going to be just like sheep consumed by wolves. One of the dangers that I've come to learn is that we have an issue of consumerism. We can get what we want, when we want, any point in time. If I go to you, hey, we're going to have a barbecue, right? And we're going to trust God to provide it. He's just going to bring the food to the table. All of you guys are going to be God and go to uh, Payless and go get food, aren't you? I mean, that's the truth. I mean, like, the reality is, is that we can provide our own substance to sustain our lives every day. And I'm not trying to say that we should all quit our jobs and live communally and not take showers. I mean, that sounds horrible, right? But I am asking, I am asking you guys to think about how, how we have become so self-dependent. That because we can order that one thing that we want from Amazon and it ships to Guam for an additional $10, that one item... Because we can order that, we don't need to wait on the Lord. <laughs> we can get it now. We are so, so not just consumerism, because consumerism alone is nothing. It's just a, a habit. But when consumerism becomes self-dependency, oh, that's so dangerous. But I think the disciples struggled that, with that too. And you'll see in the clip that I'm going to show in a little bit, there's a clip I'm going to show of the disciples, actually just the next thing, um, the disciples are going through this process of being called out by Jesus. They're being told, hey, we're sending you, Jesus. I mean, we're sending you. Jesus is like, Jesus is like we're sending you. And the disciples are like, uh. And he tells them, he goes, bring nothing with you. And they're like, uh, nothing? Can you clarify what nothing is? And I think, I mean, just because it's not in Scripture, I wouldn't doubt it for a minute that Peter and all those other disciples we're like legitimately struggling. What does it mean to give up everything? What does it mean not to bring anything and just trust on strangers? So I'm going to go ahead. Let's go ahead and look at that clip now. And then, uh, and then we'll continue with uh, just the rest of the passage. Turn it up. It is not sustainable for me to do all the preaching, all the healing and ministering. I've called you to Simon's home today and thank you, Eden, for hosting because our ministry would only grow, and we want it to grow, till the end of the age. There will be many more followers, and like those not here, all will have roles and responsibilities. Most will be disciples, students. But I have chosen you 12 as my apostles. You're sending us? An apostle is the same as a messenger, one who... I know what it means, Matthew. 
That's why I'm asking. You are my leaders. And for this mission I have for you, it's best that you spread out and not be concentrated in one place. I... I don't understand. I'm going to go home to Nazareth for a time. And while I'm there, I'm sending you out in every direction, two by two, specifically to our people only. Every direction, Rabbi? Yes, but not to the Gentiles. Not yet. That will come in time. But to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, just as Joshua led the 12 tribes to take the promised land. You will proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while you are on this mission, you will heal the sick and the lame by anointing them with oil. You will cast out demons. You will clean. What? Why are you all looking at me like that? Uh, could, could you just repeat that one more time? <laughs> I'm sending you out two by two, proclaiming as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Uh, how soon are we talking about here? There's that word again. I'll get to that, Simon. Hold on. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. While you are on this mission, I grant you this authority. Someday, you will have it all the time. Was that a ceremony I missed? This is it. Don't feel any different? I don't need you to feel anything to do great things. With all due respect, Rabbi, we've only just begun as students. We're not nearly qualified enough. I think one of the most significant lines there is, and I don't know which apostle it was, but he responds, he goes, is there a ceremony I missed? Right? Like, like you need to be trained or you need to be sent or blessed in some way. And, and his response goes, I don't feel any different. And then Jesus says, it's so beautiful. He goes, you don't need to feel different to make a difference. I really believe that Bayview and the many churches in Guam, our impact is limited to the laborers. Our ability to tell people about the love that Jesus has for us is hinged upon you. And I promise you, Jesus is, he's, he's knocking. If you look at John 9, right before John chapter 10, there's a passage that says cost of discipleship. This is not an easy passage to read. Because really what Jesus is telling them there, what he's saying is saying that I come first. And my message is so important that I need for you to just give up everything and come follow me. There might be someone in here that doesn't know what it means to follow Jesus. And I promise you, he's a game changer. Jesus, actually I'll even go far enough to say Jesus is calling you now to follow and experience that change, that almighty, powerful change 
I was blessed this last week to be part of a small group in, in youth group on Wednesday, and I was part of two other guys. They were here in the morning service, but there was two other guys, um, two other older men, and they were, they were sharing with these young people the significance that Jesus has in their life. They were basically telling them, they were telling these young guys, they were like, man, Jesus changed my life, and I, I did some really stupid stuff, and I wouldn't want it any different. And to me, that's the change. The change that Jesus offers is so amazing and so worthwhile that I wouldn't want it any different. And I bet you I can find a hundred other people in this room right now that will say the same thing. And I promise you, for those, that, for those of you that don't know that life-changing power, he is offering it now, right now. All you have to do is say yes. But there is a side to the rest of us who maybe have gotten a little complacent, have been okay with this idea that I'm going to come to church, hear Pastor Kevin preach, give a great message, and I'm going to walk out. My kids are getting babysat for free, and I'm going to walk out there and do, do what I normally do. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus is also calling you. Complacency, it, can, it, it get, grabs you by the throat <laughs> because I promise you, you start feeling like you, you feel worthless after a while when you get very complacent. You feel like you're insufficient. And Jesus is like, man, you are more than enough. Just say yes. The next song we're going to sing is actually Oceans. And I love the image of that song of oceans because it gives you an image of what Peter experienced, right? Peter is asked, Peter goes, can I walk on water? Can I make a difference? Can I make an impact? And Jesus is like, yeah, come on, I got you. And Jesus walks on water. And as soon as the waves start going around, he struggles. But the best part of that passage is that Jesus immediately rescues him. I want you to know for those of you that have gotten complacent, Jesus is calling you out of the boat. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. He's calling you to step out and walk on water. Are you going to trust him? And for those of you who, who don't know this life-changing power, after the song Oceans and after you guys sing it and, and experience the, 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 the joy of praising Jesus, I'll be available afterwards. I know that Pastor Andrew will be available. And if, and if you know, Ian, if he wants to come up and be available, we'll be more than glad to walk you through and kind of encourage you to come experience that life change. In conclusion, this is for all of us. Jesus is making a call, and he's asking for help. And I promise you, Jesus does not need our help. He doesn't. He's the one that willingly gave his life. He, he said, most people willingly give their life because there's a tough decision to be made. Jesus was like, not my will, but his will be done. Let's go. He gave it for you. And yet he's going, man, I, I want your help in this because we need workers. We need people to take care of our four- and five-year-olds. Not me, but maybe someone else. We need people to, 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 to go feed those homeless. We need people to help people that don't have a roof over their heads. We need people to go serve where people are not being served. We need people to spend time 
with the Department of Youth Affairs, the dysfunction of fatherless young men and, 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 and broken childhoods. We need people to foster kids. We need people. I could go on and on to the need in this community, and the people that should be leading that change should be the church. The laborers are few, so will you say yes? Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you do ask, Lord. And Lord, as we pray earnestly, Lord, I pray that you would just remind us of what you did for us. That you took up the cross, Lord, and you, and you bore that for us, Lord, so that we could be united with you. And Lord, may that, that love that you've shown us, Lord, may we not hold that back from anyone else. Lord, may those that we come across daily, Lord, may those that we, that, don't, that we don't even know, Lord, those relationships we haven't even met yet, Lord, may they know us because of you, Lord. May they see the hope that we have, Lord, the way that we serve them, Lord, because, Lord, you, 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 you are sowing seed now, Lord. Your soil is good, Lord, and the harvest is ready. May we say yes, Jesus. And as we sing this last song, Lord, may we be reminded that your spirit will lead us, Lord, but you will go with us. You shall never leave us or forsake us. And for that, we say thank you. Amen. Amen.